0: Welcome to The Waves, Slate's podcast about gender, feminism, and covens, real and imaginary. Every episode, you get a new pair of women to talk about the thing we can't get off our minds. And today you've got me, Rebecca Onion, a senior editor at Slate. And me,
1: Jess Zimmerman. I write about feminism, monsters, witches, and all manner of scary ladies.
0: Well, as my five-year-old says about witches, they are, quote, the only girl monsters, unquote. Now, I know that's not true, as Jess, my co-host for today, can attest, but they are certainly the sort of the first archetypal spooky, scary figures that a five-year-old like mine would know about that are coded female. Now, as a history person, I am, of course, uh, really interested in how the idea of witchery adheres to various things that women do over history. And as Spooky Season's premiere month, October, winds down, we wanted to take a minute on the waves to talk about how witches are faring in 2022. And we're going to use a pretty silly, I don't know what you think, Jess, new movie, Hocus Pocus 2, to do it.
2: I have a gift from my favorite customers. Legend has it, it's on the 16th birthday that a witch gets her powers.
1: Well, I have great news for your kid uh, because there are actually so many female-coded monsters and I'm really interested in all of them, which is why I wanted to talk about witches with you today. Uh, My book, Women and Other Monsters, is about female monsters from Greek myths. And I also co-wrote a book called Basic Witches that's all about taking inspiration from the cultural image of the witch, which is very relevant uh, to Hocus Pocus. What those ideas have in common is that uh, we use these monstrous figures to sort of encode expectations about women and women adjacent people most of those expectations are pretty constraining uh so these scary women are meant to be cautionary tales but of course it's more fun to read them as a how-to guide
0: coming up uh, in the next segment we are going to talk about hocus pocus the original and hocus pocus Two. Hey there, thanks for listening to The Waves. If you're loving the show, and we really hope you are, subscribe to our feed. New episodes come out every Thursday morning. While you're there, check out our other episodes, too, like last week's, about why some people find women's voices so problematic.
2: This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss.
0: I am so excited to be talking about Hocus Pocus, the original from 1993 and Hocus Pocus 2, which just came out at the end of September. Jess, explain what these movies are and maybe say a little about what your relationship is with them.
1: I actually thought uh, that I hadn't seen Hocus Pocus 1 and then I rewatched it and I realized, oh, I think I saw this in the theaters. It's, It's sort of a silly funny, but also a little bit scary witch movie that is so ingrained in the culture and that has so many kind of references and callbacks that I 100% forgot that I had actually seen, you know, the original model. Because I think it really has like, this is one of the portrayals of witches that if you are an 80s kid or a 90s kid, I think really had an impact on sort of what you, what you imagine when you imagine a coven or when you imagine, you know, witches, witches run amok. Amok, 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 amok.
0: These witches are very much run amok. These witches are a threat. All Hallow's Eve has become
3: a night of frolic oh, where children wear costumes and run amok. Amok, 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 amok. Oh, really just one child. <laughs>
1: So it's like a, it's like a trio It's a trio. It's a trio. And the trio is very common and popular in sort of images of witchcraft, but also images in mythology. You've got the three fates, you've got the three graces, the Gorgons, um, the Morrigan, they reference this in, in Hocus Pocus 2, you've got the figures of the maiden, the mother, and the crone. That's very classic. And I was also like reading Sandman at this time, and the maiden and mother and crone show up in there. Um, so very deep mythological roots. But what's so interesting, going back to it as, as an adult in 2022, you know, sort of looking back at an earlier time, is that uh, these three really, to me, are figuring as... The trio of nasty tropes about women. You know, you've got the slut, the shrew, and the glutton. Or, you know, if you will, the sexy baby, the monster on the hill, and too big to hang out.
0: These are all like witches from, well, what the movie sort of gestures at as Puritan times. It, in the flashback, you see them kind of like become witches and, and be destroyed. But they're not actually destroyed, of course, they're put under a spell that allows them to, to come back later. So we should say it's it's Beth Midler who's Winifred the, the ma- sort of the main sister. She is the the powerful one. Is she the monster?
1: She's the powerful one but also the angry one. She's cavilling all the time. She is egotistical. She, you know, doesn't really value her sisters. Like she's unequivocally I think the leader of these three. To me that's to be a leader is a positive quality but i think in 1993 to be like the woman leader of a band of women it was a little bit like eh, like you know she's like she's almost like a scary mother-in-law kind of trope you know like
0: pushy Mm-hmm. she like when she's in the room all of the like eyes are going to be on her in one way or another kind of I, well because she's going to demand that yeah So you have her and then you have um, her sister played by Sarah Jessica Parker, who's quite clearly the sexy baby, who has got the power to call children to her. She's like beautiful and kind of like airheaded a little bit. I don't know. Is that fair to say?
1: Um, She's played that way. I was wondering watching it, like how many sort of weird girls were like of my era were influenced by this way of of sort of portraying yourself because it is it's like very very like sort of scary child she's like
0: a beautiful but also um like unhinged in this very particular way
1: and like very thirsty in a way that surprised me like every time you know a man is on screen she's like a boy (laughs) yeah that's
0: right even a teenage boy which
1: we'll talk about (laughs) um and then
0: uh, we should also say Kathy Najimi's character, um, who I guess is her thing is that she's hungry. I don't know. She's the least articulated
1: one. It's it's absolutely her thing. She doesn't really have a personality, except that every time there's food on screen, she wants to eat it. And, uh, and they kept that in Hocus Pocus 2, even though she lost a ton of weight. They still had to have the glutton character because, I don't know, they'd run out of... <laughs> of like nasty tropes about women. Like, they, they forgot to give her a personality beyond that. So, Yeah,
0: maybe. No, her personality in Hocus Pocus 2 is that she's the one who uses Roombas as a broom. Yeah. That's like the main thing that, <laughs> that I remember about that character. So these are the Sanderson sisters, of course, we have to say. Um, the Sanderson sisters from the quote-unquote Puritan times get sort of trapped uh, with the help of a spell, and the action of the movie is that these teens in hocus pocus 1 these teens and also the 10-year-old sister of the boy teen accidentally release them and then basically entrap them again like put them back into the box
1: yeah i think they run out the the clock they're they're brought back for one night and the and the kids manage to prevent them from becoming immortal until until the sun comes up and then they have to go back to being dead
0: And the way that they sort of get their immortality is by eating children or like eating children's life force or eating virgins life forces, maybe. (laughs) So there's this whole sort of like, uh, I don't know, Internet conspiracy theory, not conspiracy theory, I guess, reading of this movie that where the two teenage characters, the boy has a big crush on the girl And through the course of the movie, the witches try to lure all the kids into the woods to basically suck their souls and become, uh, like, immortal and and have, like, all the juice that they need.
1: Virgin juice.
0: Yeah, exactly. By the end (laughs) of the movie, the boy who has, at the beginning of the movie, lit the the candle that only a virgin can light in order to um, bring the witches back. He's successfully done it, so we know he's a virgin at the beginning of the movie. And the theory is that by the end of the movie, he's no longer a virgin, although it's not shown because he doesn't respond to the bewitching spell. Oh, um, I don't know what you think about that.
1: No, that's very you know I hadn't thought about. It. I, I I was taking notes while I was watching it, and I was like, "What? How do they define a child?" Because I feel like, you know, the the teen audience of this movie probably would not have taken well to be to the implication that their that their souls will do. They're 16, the, the main characters. And so, like, I don't think they want to, like, they have driver's licenses. They don't want have to the, have their souls work to extend the life of a witch. Um, so, but it hadn't, it hadn't occurred to me that, that virginity was the, which I do not like that. <laughs> um. I know, I know. Well, I was,
0: I I first, I watched this recently, the the first one I watched at at a community, like a showing at a a community event, like they do these things in my town where they show a movie behind the community center for anyone to come who wants, you know, it's projected or whatever. Um, And as the like, little jokes about sex kept coming out, all of the adults were looking at each (laughs) other like, oh, god (laughs) like, what is this? Like, it's very, it's pretty interesting how sort of sex focused it is.
1: There's a moment in Hocus Pocus 2 where they have, like they sort of hang a lampshade on that because the guy's doing the presentation about how only a virgin can light the black flame candle.
2: That is a virgin should light the black flame candle on all Hallow's Eve with a full moon in the sky. The Sanderson sisters vowed they would one day return to take revenge on all of Salem.
1: What's a virgin?
2: Uh, that is a uh, a person who has never lit a candle.
0: <laughs> but perhaps- well, so in Hocus Pocus too, the I, I think it's interesting to think about how they changed it quite a bit because the, the both the vibe of both the movies is sort of similar, where it's like that kind of like Disney. Almost it, these movies are not made by Steven Spielberg, but they're like Spielbergian kind of like small town. Uh, like a mix of comedy and horror. Now I watched Hocus Pocus two with the aforementioned five-year-old and there was one minute where she did get scared and want to come up in my lap. But generally I wouldn't say it's scary per se. Um, But it feels like in the 2022 Hocus Pocus two that this sort of 90s undercurrent of sexual content is sort of scrubbed a little bit or they—they tr- they seems like they don't really uh, want to play with that too much. And I actually feel like the witches in 2022 Hocus Pocus
1: 2 are, in general, like, a little bit less creepy. The genre of these movies is tough to pin down. It's got a real, like, let's put on a show feel to it. Like, it's so camp, but it's also, I guess, supposed to be scary. I mean, the the stakes are not, like... You don't really feel deeply invested in in any of it, but you know, but I am, I am at this point an adult. So there's, there clearly like sort of is this element of horror, but there's also very much an element of comedy and like not, like you wouldn't really do a regular comedy this broad. Um, But I wonder whether the toning down of the sex references is just because like, teen sex comedy romps aren't really a thing the way that they were in the nineties. Like, that's just like, not, that's not what people are going to the movies for in the same way. And so like the elements of a comedy are different and the like, you know, what you expect to see in a comedy and what you expect to find funny is different.
0: Yeah. I think I agree with that. I mean, I had this like little theory that maybe it was because the filmmakers were a little bit worried about sort of like activating the anti-groomer. Like, uh, <laughs> Like the, you know, the people on the right who are kind of like, uh, ready to seize upon any mention of sex and children's entertainment to like, become angry, but I think that might be an an overread, possibly. Well, so while I was doing research for this, I found that um, in 2015, there was an article on Vox.com that was basically a broad argument that Hocus Pocus is a bad movie and that it's we only like it because of nostalgia. So I guess my question is, do you think that Hocus Pocus or Hocus Pocus 2 are good movies? Or are we just like we miss the 90s? <laughs> and or we're looking for something to watch at Halloween that, with our children that is not <laughs> like uh, too scary.
1: No, right. They're not. They're not good. <laughs> Not good movies. And I actually said when I was when I was rewatching Hocus Pocus 1, I was like, God, you just couldn't make a movie like this today, because today movies are trying to be good. Um and I like I don't even I don't even know that it's trying to be good. Then cause this is the thing about it being like broader than any straight up comedy you would ever do. Like people you don't direct movies this way. Movies are trying to be good mostly. Um But I also feel like for many people, it doesn't matter, right? When something, when something is this much of a, you know, there's, there's a magic in it, actually. When something is this much of a, like, talisman of nostalgia and, like, sort of a crystal ball that contains your childhood, you know, it doesn't, you know, there's many movies that are very, very near to my heart that are not good movies by any stretch of the imagination. It doesn't hold up, but I also think it probably was never good or even trying to be good.
0: We're going to take a break here, but if you want to hear more from Jess and myself on another topic, check out our Waves Plus segment, Is This Feminist? And so today we've already referred to it. We're going to be talking about Taylor Swift's new music video for her song, Anti-Hero. and we're going to talk about whether it's feminist.
1: And please consider supporting the show by joining Slate+. Plus. Members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate podcast, no paywall on the Slate site, and bonus content of shows like Amicus, Slate Money, and of course this one. To learn more, go to slate.com thewavesplus.
2: This podcast is sponsored by Ramp.
0: All right. So now we're going to talk about witches in culture in 2022. And Jess, I'm so glad to have you here because I feel like you have a comprehensive witch knowledge in a way that I maybe don't. So I, we just sort of referred to our feelings about Hocus Pocus and Hocus Pocus 2 feeling like a throwback to sort of a more carefree time in the representation of witches. My immediate comparison point is a movie like The Witch from 2016. Um by uh, Robert Eggers that I really loved, which is a movie about, a I guess, Puritan family who splits off from their colony and goes to live in the woods and encounters an extremely dangerous, extremely disgusting witch in the woods who eats their baby and, and kills them one by one. Uh, no spoilers. <laughs> That's a thing that is really playing with this idea of the witch as like a, something on the margins that inspires fear in people. That is a little bit more present in some other examples I can think of, like Roald Dahl's classic, The Witches book, um, which, although it's for children, much like Hocus Pocus, is like a little bit genuinely scary. And I sort of like those things. I sort of prefer those darker witches, witch visions. And I wonder what you think uh, uh, is going on in the sort of cultural ether right now when it comes to representations of witches.
1: It was interesting to notice in Hocus Pocus 2, right, which I was very much sort of watching for evidence of the way in which the the sort of import of being called a witch or being associated with witches, like how that's changed over that almost three decades. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so we're talking about, in a sense, like multiple meanings of what like what it means to be a witch and multiple sort of visions of the witch and we have you mentioned that this is this is a puritan town and they th- there's not like an implication that they were part of the sort of mass hysteria Salem witch trials right because they it's clear that they actually are witches and they are they are actually punished for being witches although hocus pocus 2 like adds a little bit of um of context to that But so you've got the very sort of Puritan idea of the witch, which is like the woman on the margins. She doesn't fit into society. She has to be punished because she's sort of seeing this other way to live. She's othered. And that is very scary in the sense that it is a threat to the status quo. And then you've got the 2022 version of witchcraft in which it now is you know, something that a lot of people practice very proudly and that they either, you know, either feel some kind of, like, connection to the history of witchcraft in this country or they feel a connection to, um, you know, pagan religion or they feel just, like, sort of a syncretic magic and empowerment. People have various uh, relationships to witchcraft, but these are positive relationships and they, you know, sort of proudly think of themselves as witches or do witch-related um, religion and witch-related culture, witch-related ritual, and, and this is this is all very, very positive. Um, and then you've kind of got the Hocus Pocus witches who are sort of sitting at the middle of this in a way that, as we were talking about in the last segment, is a little bit hard to pin down um, because they are supposed to be the sort of bugbear of the Puritans, you know? they They scared their community so much that they were put to death. Supp- we're supposed to find them scary. But they're also a little silly and they're also, you know, which is in the exact same way as these girls who are in, who are the main focus of Hocus Pocus 2, who do these rituals together. It's an important aspect of their friendship. And one of them discovers that she also, in fact, has innate witch powers and so you see there's a moment in Hocus Pocus 2 where she's she's like coming into her power and her friend is like oh my god you're actually a witch and it's like clearly like this is so great this is so amazing and then moments later she's talking to Winnie and she says you witch so like that's still there (laughs) you know that's so interesting that you point that out because
0: in the original Hocus Pocus, there's not that that there's not none of that. Like the teenagers are not like dabbling in witchcraft. They're, what they're doing is messing around in the old Sanderson house, like sneaking, sneaking around. Yeah. And then in this new one, there, there it's this group of three girls. And oh, it, that was the part that made me kind of sad. Is that, you know, there's it was a group of three girls who've been friends since childhood and had always done this like ritual, basically at one of their birthdays. And the third girl had gotten a boyfriend and stopped hanging out with them. (laughs) And then by the end, of course, they're restored to each other um, as like a little
1: sisterhood. It basically sex is the enemy in this one. It's like the goal in in the original. and, And in this one, it's like oh, a boy has come in and ruined everything.
0: I actually feel like in Hocus Pocus 2, these these witches are really absolved of quite a bit in, in certain ways. Like, the ending of it is really, like, tender. Uh, the two sisters are disappeared. They figure out how to basically, like, make the sisters kind of, like, uh, go into the air in, like, a, a puff of sparkles. <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, Winifred, the Bette Midler, the leader character, sort of chooses to follow her sisters,
1: My doing has been my undoing. My folly, my fate. What is this feeling? Oh, I think it is my heart. I fear it is breaking. Oh, I cannot bear this. I must find a way. My sisters, my sisters. Buck? I must find a way it recapitulates, you know, themes that they had set up earlier in the movie about how, you know, your coven is the most important thing and you, you know, power has to be shared and all of that. Yes.
0: And it also sort of refers back to the beginning of Hocus Pocus 2 where the Sanderson sisters flashback shows how these girls are basically sort of like rejected by the community for not wanting to marry the way that the church thinks they're supposed to marry, which is a different thing from being rejected by the community because you eat the children's souls, which literally at the beginning of Hocus Pocus 1, you see them eat a child. <laughs> like, not like physically, but you see them kill a child.
1: That was very interesting to me that they, I don't know that it's exactly sanitizing the Sanderson's. Well, it is, you know, it's giving them the Cruella treatment, um, which is that like, yes, they're they're evil, but they, but they have this sort of sad backstory. Um, and this is, you know, that's accurate, I think, to the way that, that these witch panics came about, right? Which is that they are threatening the status quo, because they're supposed to get married in the expected way. And they're not supposed to, you know, care about their sisters more than they care about the, the community and, you know, uh, and taking part in sort of the expected trappings of femininity.
0: Right. Or sometimes they were like doing things like providing um, medical assistance for abortions not to be too topical
1: no the the, the real which i um, yeah absolutely i think it's it was less likely to be like oh you're a 16 year old and you won't get married and more likely to be you know you're an old woman you are a widow so you have money and property which we don't like and or you're providing you know infrastructure-free medical care. (laughs) Right,
0: right. You're giving herbs that may or may not work, but the point is that you had the intention to do that.
1: (laughs) So in a way, it's more historically accurate because it, it makes their threat a threat to the community and not, you know, an actual literal evil. But they are still, like, it's the same characters. If you want to revisit those characters, those characters are, in fact literally sucking the lives out of children so that they can stay young. So you do kind of have to reckon with that. And I don't know that it ever really reconciles that.
0: No. And it, to me that points to sort of an interesting conundrum. Like I feel like when it comes to witches and entertainment, um, like even the witch, which I just lauded um, and I still do think is a very good movie <laughs> um, that everyone who has the tolerance for extreme tension should probably see. Um, Even the witch, like, the choice to sort of say, uh, like, witchcraft is real, and the antagonist in my movie is going to be a witch, a witch woman who does harm to people, and does harm to people in, like, these particular, uh, like, massacre of the innocent kind of ways. Um, Like, to me, that's a real choice um, in 2022, and I wonder... I mean, I don't know. I, I love Robert Eggers. I would never say that, you know, he did something, uh, capital P, problematic. It reads differently from some other witch-based entertainment that I really like, which, like, to me, it's like you could almost make a horror movie from the other side and have the POV be the woman who's being accused of being a witch and cannot escape the community, which, to me, is a terrifying idea.
1: Yeah, and this is, this is, this is sort of always a difficult hurdle to get over if you're kind of reclaiming the image of the witch as sort of a female empowerment symbol um which certainly like my book basic witches was part of of that trend um which you know i i would have thought had would burn itself out by now you know that book's from 2017 but it's it's clearly still going right because we do have we have it it's still uh you know, the girl power witch is still sort of present in Hocus Pocus 2. But that's always been something that you kind of have to juggle, is if the sort of image of the witch being hunted by the community for being an outsider um, is going to be an image that sort of spurs us to feminism, there's an urge to say, oh, yes, they were so powerful. They were doing this magic. They were feared for their power, but like... If they, if they actually were magical and actually were, you know, blighting crops and eating children and stuff like that, that, uh, that really makes the social commentary kind of blunts it, <laughs> you know, because you, you sort of see why people might get worked up about that.
0: Before we head out, we want to give some recommendations. So Jess, what are you loving right now?
1: Uh, Well, this is is a little self-serving because I actually co-edited this. uh, But there is a brand new book uh, called Toil and Trouble by Lisa Kroger and Melanie Anderson. um, And it's a history of women in Western occultism. So very relevant to all of the stuff that we've just been talking about. Um, If you're interested in real life witchcraft and magic and esoterica, it's a really wonderful survey of how women and non-binary people have used the occult as a way of regaining the power that they've historically been denied access to.
0: Well, I have a slightly older endorsement that I just became aware of and loved. Um, I'm going to endorse the the audiobook of a book called The Mercies, which is by an author named Kieran Millwood Hargrave. And the, uh, this audiobook is read by the actress Jessie Buckley, and it, I thought she did a really good job. This is about a, a little 17th century Norwegian fishing village, and there's a giant storm that kills all of the men, like all of the men are out on their boats and go down. Um, but it's that just happens at the beginning, and then the bulk of the action of the book is about how the women basically resurrect their village and then how their resurrection sort of comes to the notice of the authorities in the church who send um, basically what turns out to be a witch hunter up to take the women in hand. Um, And it's also the book that had me thinking so much about uh, how horrible it would be to be accused of being a witch and to be unable to escape. And so I highly recommend it. Well, that's our show this week. The Waves is produced by Shana Roth.
1: Shannon Paulus is our editorial director. Daisy Rosario is senior supervising producer of audio. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio.
0: we really love to hear from you. So email us at thewaves@slate.com. The Waves will be back next
1: week. Different hosts, different topic, same time and place.